Missio, we're going to jump right in um, to our second week here in the book of Colossians in light of that really, really good news. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we started yeah, a series in Colossians, and it's just where we're calling it Jesus Above All Else. We're taking a look at this letter that, that Paul wrote to this four- to five-year-old church in Colossae. Um, and I want to read the passage, and then we'll, we'll remind you of some of the groundworks that we can jump into week two here. But here's our, here's our passage this morning, and it's part of even what I prayed this morning for, for one. Um, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14 uh, reads like this. It says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so, yeah, a couple weeks ago we started this, and what we're going to read this morning is this prayer for spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, Paul is writing this because this church in Colossae is about four or five years old. It was planted and started by a man named Epaphras who came to know uh, the Lord because of Paul's ministry years earlier. And Epaphras is the pastor of this community that's in Colossae. Um, again, it's about four or five years old. And this, this church was started in love and started in the gospel, and it's growing in that. But now after about four or five years, it's getting outside pressure uh, from false teachings. And so Epaphras travels all the way to Rome where Paul's in prison, and he gives him this report that, yes, the church is, is growing in the gospel, there's fruit being born, but they are being pressured now after four or five years uh, by these outside forces. And I want to just remind us of the, the nature of these outside forces um, and these false teachings. And so Paul's writing to encourage this young church, and he's writing to remind them and, in a sense, refute uh, these three major themes uh, that are part of the false teaching. The first one is dualism and asceticism. Uh, meaning they're, they're seeing there's these outside people that are coming and telling them to view the human body and the soul as separate, but not as full constitution of what God's made. And so there's severe self-discipline and other lies that are coming in. And really they're, they're challenging the, the person and the deity of, of, of Jesus. The second piece is legalism and works righteousness. Again, they're saying that the complete work of Christ wasn't enough. And so these Colossian believers don't only need to believe the gospel, but they also have to do these other things, these holy days, these certain ways of uh, celebrating and things to abstain from and things to do to earn part of their righteousness. And thirdly, uh, mysticism and spiritual elitism, uh, that there's these worship of angels and there's this secret wisdom and secret knowledge, special knowledge that they need to have if they truly want to be followers of Jesus and bear fruit for the kingdom in the world. And again, what they're denying here is the teachings of Christ himself and the, the historical work of, of the body and the teachings that have been passed down from generation to generation to bear fruit for the gospel. And each week as we go through the, the book of Colossians, we're going to see that Paul kind of writes and addresses each of these. And this week in particular, it's the third one. It's this mysticism and this spiritual elitism. And maybe as I was reading, you, you could hear he was praying for what? Spiritual wisdom and understanding. Knowledge of God and his will and knowledge of God himself. And so Paul's directly this morning writing to refute that third point here. Now in order to actually get a good understanding of, of the context of today and, and to really bring to light, I believe, what Paul's writing here, I kind of want to address this passage backwards. 
You know, often it's, it's helpful to, to go from the beginning, go from verse 9 down to 14. But this morning, here's what I feel, is that Paul actually lands um, in a really solid way. And what he's doing here, I think, is, is reminding us of his heart in all of his prayers and in all of his letters, which is this. And this is what I want to remind us of this morning. Paul's gonna, the prayer that Paul prays is completely grounded in this. It's, it's in, this, in this reality of every time that Paul prays and he writes, he's wanting to remind them who God is and what God has done for them in Christ. And therefore, reminding his readers who you are in Christ and how you are now free to live. Okay? Who God is and what he has done in Christ, and therefore who we are now in Christ and how we are free to live. Some would say how we ought to live, which could be true. But this morning, I believe there's this really big emphasis on this reality of how we are now free to live. And the reality that before we didn't have a choice to live in a certain way, but now because of Christ and what God has done, we actually have this freedom to choose to live in a certain way. And so this is where Paul goes in in verse 12. He says, giving thanks for God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Now, when Paul speaks here of rescuing people from one kingdom and giving them access to another, when he speaks of redemption and forgiveness as a central theme of this rescue operation, where we learn that actually all of this is grounded in Paul's uh, proclamation and understanding, again, of who God is and what he's done, and he's relating it to the Exodus story, the story of God freeing the people uh, from Exodus when they were in slavery. If you're familiar with the story, you know that back in the Old Testament, we get the, the recording and the story of, of God's people were stuck in slavery for like 400 years. And they were stuck there under, under the rule of Pharaoh, and they were in this place, and all they're doing is just working away, slaving every single day, making bricks. And they desired for freedom, and they cried out to God, and what God did was send uh, a rescuer, if you will. He chose one man that he rose up, whose name was Moses, right? And there's a whole story there. But through God's divine love and providence, and through his mighty workings, through the life of one man, Uh, God set the people free. He set them free from slavery and brought them into a place that was to be an inheritance that he had promised for them. And so what God, what Paul is doing here is reminding the people of this story. Half the church in Colossae is Jews, half is Gentile converts. And he's reminding them of this story. And here's what I want us to look at this morning again before we really flesh this out. Is that Paul is painting this picture again of that in Christ, the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light, He has delivered us, go to the next slide for me. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Go go to the next one, if you will. There should be a slide that says, in Christ the Father has. I want us to be able to see this. Yeah, in Christ the Father has. Does it all fit on one? Okay, maybe not. Here we go. But here's, I want to give you a moment to look at this. I want you to read read these sentences because this is what, again, Paul's big focus and his whole premise of his prayer flows out of us understanding this and the, the Colossians understanding this, that in Christ, the Father has, would you guys read this with me? Qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Go back to the, the previous slide for me. We're going to talk about this first one. Qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So in the Old Testament, in that story, in the, in the Exodus story, right, God had given the people a promise as he freed them that they would go to a physical land, the physical promised land, the land in Canaan. 
And what Paul is saying is now that through faith and life in Jesus Christ, believers don't just share in a physical inheritance of some physical land that's actually temporal. But Paul is saying that what has happened is that we've been given an inheritance of life eternal in God's kingdom that is both present and its future. And Paul's reminding this church in Colossae, this young church that is experiencing pressure from the outside to think that they need something other than the gospel. He's reminding them who has done the work and exactly what type of work has been done for them. And the first thing he says is that you have been qualified to share in this inheritance. How many of you guys have ever applied to go to a school? And what did you have to do? You had to show all the reasons why you were qualified to get in, right? How many of you guys have ever applied for a house? Or a car loan? Or any bank loan, anything, right? It's always this whole world, the systems and the structures are based upon you trying to prove who you are, your history, your track record, why it's impeccable, and why you should be qualified to get into something or to receive something. And what Paul is saying is that in Christ, what God has done is the same thing that he did in the work of the Exodus. By his mighty power, by his love, by his grace, he looks down upon his people who are crying and in pain and could not set themselves free. And what he does is he himself qualifies them. It's his track record. It's his impeccable nature that qualifies them to receive now this inheritance that will not spoil nor fade and cannot be taken away from them. And who has done this? God. God himself is the qualifier through His Son, Jesus Christ, for all humanity that will look upon Him in faith. And the gift is an inheritance. Even thinking about that, inheritance is always a gift. Inheritance is something that we don't work for, but God has given us this inheritance in Christ. And and as the premise and undergrounding of His prayer, that's the first thing He wants the Colossians to remember, is that it's who, who God is and what He has done in Christ and then who they are, and then how they have freedom to live. First one was being qualified. The second one delivered us from the domain of darkness. See, back in the day, and you can think about again the, Egypt, the story of the Israelites in Egypt, is an ancient peoples who were conquered by their nations. They were transplanted from their home where they were free, and they're taken into another land where they're now slaves. And Paul is saying that what God has done in Christ is the exact opposite of that. What God has done, again, has heard the cries of His people in slavery, and He has come down and He has rescued them and taken them out of a kingdom of darkness, a kingdom of ignorance, a kingdom of death, and transferred in Christ into the kingdom of His Son whom He loves, which is a kingdom of life, a kingdom of light, a kingdom of love, and where the King is Jesus Christ Himself, a loving and good servant King. Not a Pharaoh, not anyone else, but Jesus Christ Himself. And Paul says, because God himself has qualified us in Christ for this inheritance, and because God has delivered us from the domain of darkness, that he has also, excuse me, rescued us, he says here, uh, redeemed us, given us redemption and forgiveness of sins. Go to that next slide so that we're looking at those two, please. Yeah, he's transferred us from the kingdom into the Son he loves, and now he's given us redemption, the forgiveness of sins. How many of you guys have ever taken uh, soda pop cans and put them in a blue bag and took them, taken them down to Fred Meyer and scanned them in so that we get funds for our packing day on November 5th? Any of you guys done that? Or put them in your own green bag? What have you done? You've done a work of redemption, right? Redeeming something. To redeem, I mean, it's, it's an Old Testament word. Again, it actually originally uh, shows up in Scripture in the, in the Exodus narrative. To redeem means to completely free something or release something and return it back to its right place of ownership. Again, Paul is reminding the Colossians that what God has done in Christ is to take them out of this 
kingdom of darkness and of death, bring them into a kingdom of light and of life with his son, and actually to place them back into the right and proper place of ownership, under the ownership of Jesus, under the ownership of, of God the Father himself. And he's talking about that, that redemption also brings the forgiveness of our sins. Forgiveness is, is based upon a price being paid, being released from a debt. That, that he's saying again, Paul is saying that in Christ, what God has done is completely free the people and release them from the debt that, that, that there was there for, for their sin, there for the brokenness in the world. And so Paul is saying, all of this, all of this has happened and been done already in Christ. I want you guys to look again at, at these words. I wish they kind of would all fit on one slide, but I want you to think about, if you're looking down at your own Bible, think, look at the word delivered, transferred, redemption, and forgiveness. What tense are those written in? It's done. It's past tense. It's done. And not only is it past tense done, but it is actually, actually an active tense in what God is now currently doing. And so Paul, again, as he, this whole prayer is undergirded by this desire to remind these young believers who are experiencing this pressure from the outside to think that they've got to do or switch or change or become something else other than what they are in Christ. That the life, of Christ, of life in Christ, life of following Jesus, is all about actually remembering what God has already done and what He is continually doing through His Son, who is the King over this kingdom which we have now been given life in, it's his love, it's his goodness, it's his power, it's his might that does all this, both past tense and present tense. And so Paul says, in light of this, let's jump back up to verse 9 now, he says, in light of this truth, in light of this reality, in light of who God is and what he has done for you in Christ, he says, from the day that I heard about your faith in this God and what he has done for you, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Remember, one of the things that the false teachers were doing in Colossae is that they were claiming that these Colossian believers, if they really wanted to be followers uh, of God, is that they needed to be filled with a new manner of like special and secret knowledge. But Paul here is praying that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. The knowledge of, of this, this God's will. This God who is a God that transfers. This God who is a God that delivers. This God who is a God that redeems. This God who is a God that forgives. He's saying, I'm praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, Paul here is not necessarily speaking about the Colossians or us coming to know, like, what is God's specific will for my life? Like, should I have this job or date this person or marry that person? Or you guys get, like, often when we think about God's will, if we're honest, I think often we think of that, don't we? We think about how does it apply to me and, and, and my life in this regard, in these specific situations. But what Paul is talking about here is something much larger. What Paul is talking about here is in light of who this God is and how he's revealed himself through the work of the Exodus and through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, he's talking about the, the Colossians growing in and knowing the revealed will of God as expressed, again, through the works and the things that God has already done and through his written word. A couple of things that might fall under the category that I wanted to share with you based upon looking through God's Word and going, what is God's revealed will as it says to us in, in, in His Word? The first would be this. I believe that God's will would be that we'd be a people that live in love. Live in love for God, for self, and for our neighbor, right? Jesus said that really clearly, that that was the greatest command in Matthew 22. 
Jesus said in Matthew 18 that we are to forgive the way that we have, be, we, we have been forgiven. That, that's the will of God for us, is that we be a people of forgiveness even as we've been forgiven. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes and he says, be sanctified, this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Meaning that you would continue to grow in grace and continue to grow in freedom from sin. Paul writes in that same book in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, give thanks always in all circumstances for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. God's revealed will is that we would be a people of thanksgiving. I think of Jesus' words in John 15 when he's talking about abiding in love and bearing fruit. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So abide in this love so that you might now bear fruit and flourish, basically. Jesus was praying and expressing in that, I believe, God's will, that we would be a fruitful people. See, this this is the will that, that Paul is talking about when he says, again, in light of this God and what he has done, I'm praying for you that you would grow in the knowledge and you'd be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. See, Paul's saying, you know, there's, there's, you can learn and read from books. That's helpful. There's church tradition and that's helpful. But Paul is saying there's actually by the work of the Spirit because of the Gospel, a way in which you and I can be led into an understanding of biblical wisdom and understanding through what God has done in our lives in Christ. See, biblical wisdom is this. It's the ability to apply God's will to various situations. And biblical understanding is, says this. It says you take the facts and you take the information that you have, you take the truth of the gospel, and you understand now the relationship between the different details of your life and the things going on. You take God's will, you take your understanding of who you are in Christ, you take any circumstance in life, and you have the ability to now discern what am I to do, what is going to nurture the life of God and the life of the kingdom in my life or versus what will hinder it. And so that's what Paul is praying for. He's saying, look, a young church, four or five years old, now being, receiving these outside pressure, he goes, I'm praying that you be filled with the knowledge of God's revealed will and that you would also grow in wisdom and understanding. Again, take a look at anything that's going on in your life and be able to look at it through this lens of this is who God is and what he has done. This is who I am in Christ. This is the circumstance now going on. And I get to choose in partnership with God through his wisdom because of the truth of the gospel and his spirit within me to go, okay, in this, what is going to lead me and guide me again to growth and flourishing in the gospel and in the kingdom versus what is going to hinder that? Pretty powerful. Pretty powerful and pretty, pretty relevant, I think, in our day and our time as well. See, Paul is praying that they would have a deeper inner sense of God's revealed will, of who they are in Christ. Why? Because he says in verse 10, so that you will walk then in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's interesting because Paul's statement here in verse 10 that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. It implies that we cannot live a life worthy of God and we can't please Him in every way apart from knowing the will of God, right? He's basically saying like you cannot please God if you don't know what God wants. And on one hand, I would say, yes, that's true. I would say outside of Christ and apart from Christ, we, we don't have the ability to actually bring pleasure to God. But I want to remind us again that Paul is writing to believers. Paul is writing to, to, to you and I. And so on the other hand, I would say that I think what Paul's actually talking about is this. The fact that when you are in Christ, you already bring pleasure to God. That when you are in Christ, because of who He is and what God has done in Christ in your life, 
Every time that God looks at you, He does already delight in you. He does already take pleasure in you. Is that, is that track with anybody? Is that? And out of that place then of knowing, I am the delight of God. I am in the place of pleasure. I am already looked at by this God who created me and this God who has saved and redeemed me. And even in the moments of struggle, even in the moments of weakness, even in the moments of temptation, even in the moments where I act a fool, even in these moments, the truth of the gospel Paul is praying is that they would again have this spiritual wisdom understanding to look at even a situation like that and to go, well, even in the midst of this, I can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and I can walk in a manner that brings delight to him. Why? Because he already delights in me. Again, he's already qualified me. And again, they've got these outside voices that are coming at them and saying, yeah, no, 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 you're not qualified yet. There's this other special wisdom that you need to have. There's these other things that you need to do. There's this other type of, of understanding and of worship that you need to engage in. And what Paul is doing is he's really stripping it down bare to saying, no, 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 no. The truth of the gospel says that the God who created the universe and everything that's in it created you in love and He delights in you. And He loves you so much that He sent His Son into the world that His Son would now be the, the price that was paid. For, in, the, in the Exodus, there was a price that was paid for the freedom of the people. Do you guys remember what it was? It was the firstborn sons of all of Israel. And what Paul is reminding them is, no, the firstborn son, the only true son of God, has already paid that debt. He's already come and laid down His life for you. And now the Gospel is that you are forgiven that you are loved, that you are free, and the will of God is that you would continue to grow in the knowledge and be filled with this wisdom and understanding of this truth so that in every circumstance and everything that's going on, you would know that and you would live from that place and you would walk in a manner worthy of that gospel and that your life would bear fruit in line with that gospel and that that would continue to bear fruit in your life and in the community around you for the glory of God. And not only that, Paul says this. He goes on now and he says in verse 11, and may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with God. I want you guys to look at that for a second as well. Read that verse. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance with patience and understanding. Who is the source of strength that Paul is praying that these young believers would walk in? Where's the source of strength come from? Whose glorious might? His. Do you see that? Right? His. So Paul is saying, even as we walk through these situations and these circumstances, where there's outside pressure that's trying to get us to move away from this knowledge and this understanding of, of, of God, He's saying, I'm praying also that you would be strengthened, not again, not through your power, <laughs> not through what you can do, but that you would be strengthened according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with understanding. Christ is, is the beginning, <laughs> Christ is the end, and Christ is the empowerment and the source that Paul is praying that they would know and they would abide in and then they would dwell in and that would take deep root down inside them. Endurance and patience. Endurance and patience is, is a steady persistence until, until you reach a goal. 
And Paul is saying that I'm praying that you would have steady persistence and you would have the strength to do that that comes from the, the might of God. Again, he's referring to even the power and the might of when God in the Exodus freed them and not only freed them, but then parted the river and they were able to walk through on dry ground and as they even they got through the ground, that God provided for them. And, and he continued to lead them and guide them and constantly showing his strength, his might, his care, his love, his goodness. Paul is praying that we would experience that same type of might, that same type of power within us in order to give us the ability to persevere and persist to the end goal until we reach it. The end goal of experiencing life in the kingdom, the inheritance which he has given us. So what does this all mean? I just, I just gave us a whole bunch of kind of breakdown of these theological terms and, and what Paul is saying here. here. Here's what I think Paul's, Paul's getting at. So I think in, in this day, um, because of the pressures that were coming from the outside, and I think for us as well in our day, I think you guys that there's two lies that the world often tells us about God and his intention for us and for humanity. The first one is this, that people would often say that, that God doesn't want us to have a good time. Just real simple. God, God doesn't want us to have a good time. God doesn't want us to have to pleasure. He doesn't want us to feel good. He doesn't want us to experience joy. He doesn't want us to experience that type of, of stuff. I think the second lie that, that often is told is that even if we try to live as God wants us to, all we're ever going to get is like a grudging approval. That even if I just try my hardest and do whatever, God's only going to give me like a, yeah, like a little attaboy. You know what I'm saying? But see, what Paul prays here and what Paul outlines here refutes that both of those are absolutely wrong. That God's intention for human life is for flourishing. And that God's intention for human life is that we would flourish in His love and bear fruit in relationship with Him. But the very reason that God sent His Son into the world is that we would experience freedom and therefore experience joy and experience pleasure. And that we would experience not just this idea or this sense of, oh, there's a God that created up here and now He's sitting back there and He's just judging us all, but know that He's continually and actively at work through His power and through His might, through His love, through His Son, Jesus Christ, to bring us to completion, to become the people that He freed us to become. And that brings God great joy and great pleasure. One of the things I think, though, that I've come to realize in, in my own just journey with Jesus and, and talking with people is for us to come to this place, though, to understand that, one, that truly is who God is. And again, that's why Paul focuses so much and on his closing, of he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. But also then that we would willfully choose and consent to allow this God who has done all this to continue to be at work in our lives. See, I think there's not only outside forces here that, that are coming at the Colossians, but I think if, if they're human just like we are, there's also the internal forces. Do you know what I'm saying? There's the internal forces that want to prevent us from going, continuing, and persevering in joy and in thanksgiving for this God who has done all of this for us in Christ. I appreciate what Paula Reinhart, she wrote a book uh, called Strong Women and Soft Hearts, and she said this in, in her book. She said, trust hangs somewhere between knowing what your heart longs for and trying to dictate the shape or timing or outcome of your heart's desire. It lies in the willingness to accept the particulars of how and when and where God chooses to intervene. And it waits in the cool shade of surrender. 
So I think ultimately what Paul is praying for to a degree, and, and both for the Colossians and for us, is that we would learn to continually trust this God who has done all of this for us in Christ and continue to surrender our hearts, surrender our lives, surrender our wills to Him so that we continue to be set free from the domain of darkness. So we can be continue to set free from the entanglements of sin. We can continue to be set free from the lies that come from the outside or the inside and that we would then abide in the gospel. We would walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We would bear fruit in line with His will and His good pleasure. And that we would live with this sense of knowing that God indeed loves us. That God indeed is for us. And that we'd be reminded of His goodwill and His purposes in Christ Jesus. So, Missio, this, this morning, here's my invitation to you. You know, as the teaching team and I have sat and kind of read through this, honestly, there's this kind of struggle. As a teacher, you go, I want to give them something, and I want to give them something like hardcore and concrete to apply to it, right? I call it sticky, right? You want to make it sticky. And here's my struggle, like last, last week and even this week to a degree. Paul's letter later is going to bring us to that place of real sticky. He's going to say, in, in later, in, in every single chapter, he's going to say, in light of this, now go and do this. Here, what Paul actually says is, I'm praying for you that you would understand and you would know this. That you would just be reminded of this continually. That the Spirit would do a work in you to bring you to this knowledge of who God is and knowledge of His will in your life. And so, Mystio, here's, here's, here's my application for you. My invitation is that would you this week, similar to as the, the first chapter of Colossians that we did, would you take time this week and would you thank God for the gospel? Take time this week and thank God for the gospel. Take time literally just to remember who he is and what he has already done for you in Christ. And secondly, if that's not sticky enough for you, I invite you to open up your Bible this week to Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. And I invite you to pray this prayer for yourself this week. Take time to meditate on this prayer, on this truth. This, I've been doing it this last week and in the last two weeks even, just, just in preparation to do it. And it's been so good just to experience God's grace, being reminded of who He is and what He has done. What has already been done. What has already been past tense done for me in Christ. And reminded of what He is currently doing by His love and by His Spirit and by His grace in my life. And the way it has helped me to sit and look at, okay, these conversations with my wife and these conversations with my kids and these interactions with whoever it is. And just to go, okay, from that place of abiding in that truth, I have the ability now, have wisdom and understanding to discern, Lord, what are you calling me to do to move forward in this that actually pleases you and that actually bears fruit for the kingdom and for the gospel in my life? So I invite you to thank God for the gospel. And spend time to literally just pray through this prayer this week for yourself and for your loved ones. Can we do that? Yeah? So I want to invite Kelly and the, and the, the band to come up and, and lead us out in closing worship. Um, and as we do that this morning, we're, again, we've got the opportunity to take communion together. We've got the opportunity to come to this table that is a reminder to us each time that we come exactly, again, of, of who God is and what He has done for us in Christ. That this table reminds us that He is the God who has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His Son in whom we love, He loves. 
that he has already qualified us to receive an inheritance of, of eternal life. That he has redeemed us. He has bought us back and paid in full the penalty of, of sin. And he has, we in, in him we have the forgiveness of sins. And so this morning as you come, I invite you to take a, a piece of that bread which represents Christ's body that was broken for us and to take that cup of juice which represents his blood which was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And would you even start now this morning just in that process of, of thanksgiving and remembering who God is and what he has done for you in Jesus.